Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at For those of you who don't know me, I'm one of the teaching pastors here at the District Church. Um, Riley, thank you for that this morning. Uh, for those of you who don't know, we, we typically, and I, I think this is a beautiful thing of how the Holy Spirit works, uh, we typically will write out a liturgy or the order of service throughout the week. Um, and so myself, Dwayne, uh, Jordan, as we prepare for Sunday mornings, we think, pray through what we want to do up here. Um, and sometimes the Holy Spirit just says, thanks for your planning, I'm going to do something else. <laughs> and uh, that's what happened this morning. Um, as Riley and I kind of talked through what he just shared, I was just amazed at how we are preaching on the Holy Spirit this morning, and he also then just, and his pursuit and his care and love, um, not only through a sermon, but also through a testimony and sharing what he's done in your mom's life. So thank you for that. Uh, I just, for me, I was just profound of how the Holy Spirit worked this morning. So that was pretty awesome. Um, we are going to, as I just shared, um, be talking about the Holy Spirit this morning. Um, we are closing out our misconceptions series. If you haven't been here the last couple of weeks, uh, we've been talking about just things that if we don't look through the lens or don't look through a filter of Scripture, uh, we can have some misconceptions or, or wrongful ideas about different topics. But before we start, um, normally we have Bibles out on each seat. Uh, I'm going to be walking through a lot of Scripture this morning. Um, so if you don't have a Bible... Um, now is your time. There are some stacked in the back. Um, if you guys want to go and grab some, feel free to do so. Don't feel like you're um, messing up the service or anything like that. I want to have the opportunity for you to be able to see where I'm coming from this morning from the scriptures. I'm going to read it to you, but some people actually like to see it, like myself. I'm a visual learner, so I've, I've got to have some in front of me. Um, so I'm going to give some time for that. Um, all right, nobody's getting them. That's fine. <laughs> um, I'm glad you all brought your Bibles this morning. That's what it means, right? So when we take ideas, when we have um, understandings of things, when we don't look at them through the lens of Scripture, what we can do at least, right, is have an idea that sounds biblical, um, but it actually is not. Anybody heard the phrase, cleanliness is next to godliness, and thought that was in the Bible before? Right? Parents might even still use that to get their kids to clean. Um, so that's a, that's a funny phrase that is not biblical, although it sounds like it. If we don't look at things through the lens of Scripture, they can also become full-blown heresy. When we don't have that foundation, they can become crazy ideas that the Bible does not teach. For example, a long time ago, people used to think that when Jesus descended to earth, when he became a man, he lost his deity and he was not fully God. That's not what the scriptures teach. That's not what we see within the word of God. And so, again, not having a biblical lens for ideas can lead us to, you know, funny phrases like cleanliness leads to godliness, or at worst, full-blown heresy. So this morning is no different. Today, we're going to take a look at, as we close out this series, what, in my opinion, is one of the most, if not the most important thing that we've talked about throughout this misconception series, and that's the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And I want to answer the question, what does the Bible say about the Holy Spirit, and why is it important to our lives? And the reason that I call this the most important topic that we've covered is because when we're looking at doctrines, we have to have a category in which we place these doctrines, and today we're going to be talking about the doctrine of the Trinity, the doctrine of God. And for us, when we look at Scripture, we have to start here. This is going to be our foundation. As Albert Moeller would put it, or describe how we place these doctrines into categories, a theological triage. Anybody work here in the medical professional area? I could just say the hospital. That'd probably be a better phrase. No? <laughs> Anybody understand what the word triage means? Yes. So it's a French word that means to sort things out. And when we come to the hospital, you'll notice that there are medical professionals who 
work in triage. They make a discernment of what is of most importance. They sort things out so that when you go to the hospital and if you have a gunshot wound to the chest, you're not on the same level as someone who scrapes their knee, right? There's somebody that makes a judgment call of what's of first importance. So when we come to doctrine, when we come to theology, we should have that same mindset or we should have this same discipline, right? So we, we look at it like this at our, our church. We're going to see three levels of theological triage. The first level is this, the Trinity, God's full deity, his humanity in Jesus, authority in Scripture, and the justification of faith. Those are going to be first level. Second level are going to be things that uh, are going to flow from that. And third or tertiary are going to be things we can agree on and fellowship together um, or disagree on and fellowship together. So the way that this might work out, and we'll use the example that we have this morning, we're talking about the doctrine of, of God, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. So that is first level importance. What flows from that is the imago Dei, how we view one another and how we see each other made in the image of God, and why every single person from conception to death has importance and value. And then the third level we, that we talk about every so often here is the idea of like complementarianism and egalitarianism, right? Things that we can disagree on but still fellowship from. So it's important for us to take theological understandings or doctrines that we see in Scripture and have these categories. It doesn't make these categories any less important, but what it does is it puts an emphasis on how we structure how we look at things, how we talk to people about things, how we focus on what God has shown us through his Scriptures. And that's what we're going to be doing this morning. Because the most fundamental and important claim for us in Christian theology is that God has made himself known to us through his scripture, through his creation, and most importantly, as Hebrews would tell us now, through the person and work of Jesus Christ, which is the primary job of the Holy Spirit, as we'll see today, to point everything back to Jesus. So the doctrine of God is where our theology has to start. And if it doesn't, if you come here every single week, you start to hear more about how you can be a good husband, how you can be a good wife, how you can be a good neighbor, but you'd walk out of here not knowing the Trinity, not knowing the important things of our faith, the fundamental doctrines of our faith, then I'm going to tell you, Dwayne and I have failed you, and you probably need to get out. Because there, there needs to be a level of understanding the most important things that we see within Scripture, the, the orthodox beliefs that we have, and they flow from the doctrine of God. So this is why I think that this is the most important topic that we're going to talk about throughout this, past, throughout this past series that we've gone through. So if you will, I'm going to ask the Lord to bless this time this morning. So we're going to go to him in prayer. Um, and then we're going to jump into the Word and see how the Holy Spirit flows throughout the narrative of the Christian story. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you that, as we'll see this morning, you've left us with the Holy Spirit that leads us and guides us and reminds us of what Christ has done for us on the cross. Lord, thank you for the God of the Holy Spirit who creates and sustains and creates order out of chaos. Lord, thank you that we can sing songs about your word. We see that the song we just sang, that there's another in the fire, reminds us of the picture of Daniel, that Jesus came into the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and was with them, present with them in there. And he sustained them. And Lord, ultimately we get from that story, they're able to say, God can, he will, but even if he doesn't, we can praise him. And so Lord, I, I pray that that would be a motto that we have when we look at seasons of life that we walk through. Lord, that you can, you will, but even if you don't, we will praise you. We will worship you because you are good. And ultimately, Lord, you have our 
most joy in mind. So I pray this morning, as your vessel, that through the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would be magnified and glorified, and our affections would grow for you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, when it comes to the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to tell you right off the bat, um, it is almost impossible to narrow down this doctrine. Almost impossible. So we're going to be here for the next couple of weeks. I'm just kidding. Um, It could take a couple of months if we really wanted to dive in. But what I'm going to try to do is just take us through the Christian story, the, the narrative that we see from Genesis to Revelation of how the Holy Spirit has and is still working in the life of believers. One of the reasons I do say that it's almost impossible is because when you think about the Holy Spirit, what comes to your mind? Probably something that you've either grown up in a church tradition or how your family has talked about the Holy Spirit or even your own experiences. Sometimes even entertainment will try to tell us who the Holy Spirit is. So then when we go to the Bible and we start to read about the Spirit of God, we can have a specific lens or a specific mindset of who this Spirit is without truly seeing how God has revealed himself through his word. See, I say that because I grew up in a church where we rarely talked about the Holy Spirit, right? It was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Bible. We never talked about the Holy Spirit. If we did, it was about um, maybe him leading us somewhere, but we never really got into the doctrine of what the scripture has to say about him. Dwayne has said, and, and I agree with him, sometimes we see the Holy Spirit as this kind of weird uncle that shows up to the party and does some weird things, right? And then he kind of leaves, and it's just like, what? Who, who was that? And then some of us have grown up in churches where we have overemphasized the Holy Spirit, where we are longing for his gifts of tongues and prophecies, manifestations of his spirit. I, I grew up in South Florida, and this is not really going to sound weird for me as a South Floridian, but maybe for you, but we had churches right down the road where my church didn't talk a lot about the Holy Spirit, but the church next to me longed for him to just make his manifestation known to a point where they just held snakes. I don't even know what snakes had to do with the service, but I know that they had them. So that was, that was the opposite end of the spectrum. And they say that's weird because like in Florida, you can just go out on the road and find a ball python anywhere. So it's really not that big of a deal. Anyway, so we have these two perspectives, right? We have these lenses that we, we see the Holy Spirit and then we bring that to the Bible instead of going to the Word of God and then having that interpret our lives. So what I want to start is where we should start with all doctrine in the beginning. So if you have your Bibles open to Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 1. It says this, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So right off the bat, page 1, we see that God has created all things. Now, Hebrew would tell us that that God is a plural word for Elohim. So this, right off the bat, we see the doctrine of the Trinity playing out on the first sentence of the first page. So the Holy Spirit is a part of creation. The Holy Spirit is a part of bringing life. But in that second sentence, we see a specific design that the Holy Spirit is showing us. It says in verse 2, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So picture this scene. I don't know if you guys have ever been deep sea fishing or if you've ever been out on the ocean where you do not see land. You are just kind of stuck in a boat and you recognize how small you are in comparison to the chaos of the waves that are going on. That's the scene. As well as the Hebrew author would write, it's like a chaotic desert. So these two scenes are what this author in Genesis 1 are talking about in this chaos, this fear, this disorder that is going on. 
And then all of a sudden we see the divine presence hovering over all of this darkness, all of this chaos. And he's about to bring life. And he's about to bring order to this world. And the author says the spirit of God was there and he was present. The Hebrew word for the spirit that this author is talking about is ruach. You got to kind of clear your throat when you say it, right? Ruach. This is the first time that we see this word appear. And so when you're looking at the biblical narrative, when you're looking at the Christian story, whenever you see something appear first, what the author is trying to get you to do is see that this is where all other things flow from. So we see early on that this ruach, this breath, this spirit of God is a creator, a sustainer, and he takes disorder and brings it into order. In the Old Testament, when we see this word ruach, it can be described many different ways. But there are, in all of the examples, it has this foundation, have this root of energy. So for example, there's invisible energy that we see in the Old Testament. Well, what's an example for us nowadays that's invisible energy? Wind, right? When I'm playing golf and the ball goes right or left, it's not because I can't swing well, it's because there's wind that's pushing it. That's ruach. The Old Testament also talks about breath. Now I want everybody to do something for a moment. I want you to breathe deeply. Now breathe out. Everybody calm? Or is everybody a little nervous about that? That's weird, right? Okay. That is ruach. What the Old Testament describes is energy. It's not so much of the breath, but it's the energy that that deep breath you just took in brings. And the third thing we see is just a presence. The same word in the Bible that describes breath or wind also describes, and most importantly describes, God's presence. Just like wind and just like breath are invisible, the Holy Spirit is invisible to us. But just like wind that is powerful and breath that keeps us alive, so the Spirit of God is powerful and sustains all of life. And this is what we see in the beginning of Genesis this is the category in which everything then flows from when we talk about the Spirit of God. So cards on the table, I, I wanted to read to you what we as a church believe about the Holy Spirit, um, and then we're going to get into some application of why this is important. So as a church, we believe this, and you can see this on our website. Um, you can also see this in our men membership covenant, but we say this about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Through the proclamation of the gospel, he compels men to repent of their sin and confess Jesus as Lord. By the same Spirit, a person is led to trust in God's grace and mercy. And the Holy Spirit unites believers to Jesus in faith, brings about the new birth, and dwells within them as a new regenerate believer. The Holy Spirit has come to glorify the Son, who in turn came to glorify the Father, and he will lead the church into a right understanding and right application of the truth of God's word. So even in what we believe as a church, we see that the Holy Spirit, this Ruach, brings new life, and he sustains his church and points them back to Christ. Now, when we read Genesis 1, 1 and 2, I want us to see right off the bat that we have a characteristic of God's nature in those two verses, specifically how the Holy Spirit creates and sustains out of chaos and disorder. Where the Spirit goes, life and order and beauty are what result. Every time in the scriptures where the Spirit goes, the result is life and beauty. And I want us to be able to start picking up on those themes. Psalm 33 says this, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and by the ruach, the, bre the breath of his mouth, all their hosts he gathers. I'm so glad that Riley shared what he did this morning and how the Holy Spirit has designed even this service. Because 
as I was studying this week in how the Spirit takes chaos and creates order, that brought me great hope. I hope it brings you great hope. Because if you feel like your life is in disorder, if you feel like the things that you're walking through are chaotic, we have a God who is present. We have a God who sustains. We have a God who brings life. If your work is not going well, if somebody suddenly dies that you talked to two weeks ago, if you have family conflict, you can have hope that, as we just sang, there is another in the fire. That there is another one who is sustaining your life and can, as Romans reminds us, bring good out of anything and everything that you're walking through. That is a refreshing truth for me, and I hope it is a refreshing truth to you that the Spirit, that God's Spirit, is not one of impersonal deity, not one that sits back and says, you've got to figure this out. But as Genesis 1 and 2 show us, this Ruach is a personal presence that energizes, that creates, and sustains our lives. Everything we know about the Spirit then flows from this. So what are some misconceptions that we have about the Holy Spirit? Well, one I heard this week, um, just actually from a friend, I was kind of shocked, but he was like, man, um, do you really think that the Holy Spirit was around in the Old Testament? I was like, yeah, Genesis 1 tells me that. <laughs> Did you skip that verse? Um, but sometimes we can think that, right? Sometimes we can have categories where we say, well, the Old Testament, Old Testament is the mission of the Father, and then the mission of the Son is the Gospels, and then the mission of the Holy Spirit is from Acts to Revelation. And so we can have that misconception that the Holy Spirit really wasn't around too much in the Old Testament. Or we can look at it like the Old Testament was kind of just God's revelation, and then the New Testament now is God's revelation 2.0, where he's brought in two new characters. But I want to show you that in the New Testament, everything the apostles do and say about who Jesus is what they say about the kingdom of God, what they say about the spirit, what they say about new creation was already anticipated and even was developed in three quarters of what we have in our Bible. Each topic of the spirit in the New Testament is just a branch stemming from the main trunk of the storyline of the Old Testament. That's why you will often hear Dwayne and myself say, to understand the New Testament, you've got to first go back to the Old I heard it said this week that uh, when you read the New Testament, it, it just reminds you or should remind you of what you've already read in the Old Testament. So that's why it's so important for us to not just take one half of the Bible or the other half of the Bible and place importance on it, but that the whole of the Bible is revealing the nature and character of who God is and how he has designed his creation to live for flourishing and for joy. I'm going to ask you a question. Do you think the people of the Old Testament had a personal transformational encounter with God through the Spirit? Just of your knowledge of the Old Testament, yes or no? Nobody wants to answer that, okay. Yes, yes they have. Thank you. Awesome. All right. <laughs> I know, Bryce. I get it. We think about the bigger stories like the Exodus, right? The, the parting of the Red Sea. The parting of the Red Sea was what by, done by an easterly ruach that came and separated the waters. We see a pillar of fire and cloud that led the Israelites as they walked through the wilderness. That was the ruach that led them. But there are three that I want to focus on this morning that kind of give a narrative to where we are going. And that is Joseph, these two artists in the creation of the temple, and the prophets. So if you will, stay in Genesis, but jump over to chapter 39. You may be familiar with this character. His name is Joseph. He was the son of Jacob. Had a coat of many colors. Sons 
or not sons, but brothers hated him, so they sold him into slavery. Um, it was a very fast translation of Joseph's life, but I would encourage you to read it. Um, starting in verse 19. Actually, I'm sorry. Hold on. I'm sorry. Start in verse 1. We'll go from 39, verse 1. It says, Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had brought him from the Ishmaelites, who had brought him down there. Verse 2 says, The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of the Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him he had no concern about anything but the food he ate." So the very first story that we see after the Garden of Eden, where the Spirit introduces himself again, is here in Joseph's life. So the narrative, like I said, in Joseph's story is that he is one of Jacob's sons, and early on he had dreams and visions that he could interpret. And one of the many signs of the Ruach is to be able to use your gifts and talents for the Lord. And so Joseph, early on as a youngster, hadn't matured yet, kind of shared some of these dreams, pissed off his brothers to a point where they wanted to kill him, but then they sold him. They sold him, and he goes off to Egypt, which is where we kind of pick up this story. And in jail, or in kind of the service where he was, um, the Pharaoh found out that he could interpret dreams. And so he brings him in. And he allows him to use his gifts and talents. And obviously we see in chapter 39, the spirit of the Lord was with him and caused him to have success where he was. See, God's spirit enabled him to understand these dreams. And, un and, and people saw that the spirit of the Lord was with him. His life was so overhauled by the presence of the spirit who worked and empowered Joseph in his season that even in the midst of Suffering and hardships, he was able to be sustained by that ruach. Another example that we see is over in Exodus. So if you'll jump the very next book over to chapter 31, starting in verse 1, we're introduced to two artists. Starting in verse 1, it says, The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by the name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with Ruach, the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze and cutting stone for this setting and carving wood to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him Olilah, the son, I'm not even going to go off of his dad, of the tribe of Dan. And I have given to all the men this ability that they may make all that I have commanded you. So here we have the creator spirit in Genesis 1 and the empowering spirit in Genesis 39 coming together. These two themes where God fills these two artists with his spirit to make beautiful gold, silver, his tabernacle, his place where he dwells, they were able to take both of those gifts of the spirit and bless the people of Israel but ultimately glorify God because they had an encounter with the presence of the Ruach. And finally, we see throughout the Old Testament these men called prophets. God empowered a group of people with his spirit to see history from his point of view. As we walk through the major and minor spirits 
spirits. Well, if we walk through the major and minor prophets, we'd see the Spirit work in them to foresee what was to come for the nation of Israel as well as Christ the Messiah to come in the future. We see this story starting in Genesis 1 and 2 where humans are defined and sustained by God's Ruach. Adam and Eve are ruling and reigning and having dominion with the Lord. And then sin comes and takes order and creates a new disorder. And then the prophets, as they anticipated the coming Christ, proclaimed that the Spirit would ultimately come again but work in a different manner. You see, God the Spirit had personal transformational encounters with his people in the Old Testament, but now, as the prophet Joel would anticipate and proclaim, he was coming, but in a new way. Joel 2 says this, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. The Spirit now has a different operation we see in the New Testament, specifically when he comes at Pentecost, which he begins to create new hearts and to empower people to truly love God and love others. For the humans in the story, this biblical narrative, in order for them to truly partner with God after Genesis 3, and to truly proclaim that they are image bearers, they would need new hearts. We need new hearts to be regenerated in order for us to have faith in what Christ has done. This is what John 3 talks about when Jesus has the conversation with Nicodemus. Do you guys remember what he says? You need to be reborn, but not in a physical sense, but in a spiritual sense that your heart, that is a heart of stone, needs to be created into a heart of flesh. This is what the prophets foresaw and anticipated in the coming spirit. And this is what we see at Pentecost. As we have walked through Acts the last couple of years, this is what we see in the beginning of Acts 2. This new creation, the spirit of God has remade to become truly a partner with him again, taking disorder and again creating order. This is what we see in Pentecost throughout the New Testament and now even to our small church plan where God has given us his spirit, his presence to go and make the name of Jesus, make his name much of, to glorify him, to bring magnification to what he has done for us. The beautiful thing about what was done at Pentecost is it also gives us a sense of new humanity. In Jesus, what we see in Acts is that God is breaking down socioeconomic barriers, gender barriers, ethnic barriers in order to remake all humanity and those who would believe in him into his image. And this is the, the point of the Holy Spirit. This is what the work of the Holy Spirit does. This points us back to Christ, this makes us into his image, giving us a new heart and regenerating us in order that we can have faith to trust and hope in Jesus. So I want to answer the question this morning, what does it mean to be indwelt by this ruach, by this spirit of God? So I want to give you three things and then we're going to get out of here this morning. The first one is that by being indwelt by this spirit, you are a new creation, John 20, 19 to 23, if you can jump over there quickly, is a picture of what we have in the Spirit as the church. Starting in verse 19, John writes this, On the evening of that day, this is after Jesus has resurrected, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for, where the disciples were for, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. 
Jesus said to them, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And now, when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. So picture the scene. The disciples have locked themselves in a room. And Jesus just kind of walks through the wall. It's like, hey, I'm here. And then he talks to them, peace be with you. And then he breathes on them, which is another weird thing in the literal sense. It's like, that's, that's kind of weird, Jesus, that you would breathe on me. But in the very eternal sense, we see this ruach being breathed upon the Holy Spirit. And what John is showing us in this here is new creation is happening in this moment. That even though the disciples were very much alive in the physical sense, they were still dead in the spiritual sense. And Jesus breathed on them the Holy Spirit and told them to go and that his peace would be upon them. And we also see in Luke, as we walk through the Gospels, he tells them to wait until the Holy Spirit comes and descends. And that's where we get Pentecost. And so John's language here in chapter 20 should remind us of that same breath of life that was given to Adam in creation. Jesus is breathing life in to the apostles so that they then can go and share that same hope, that same life. To be dwelt by the Ruach means to be made alive in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. That you and I are now new creations made to reflect God's glory and to show the hope of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. As one pastor said, the first Adam inhaled the Ruach and the last Adam exhaled the Ruach out. Christ breathes out his spirit that the first Adam breathed in. And he breathes it out upon his disciples who he has made new in order for their hearts to be transformed and conformed into his image, but also for them to go and to share this same message. The second point that we find in being indwelt by the Holy Spirit is this, is that we, you, can experience Jesus through the personal presence of the Holy Spirit. That's what we find in Genesis 1 and 2, right? That the Holy Spirit is a personal presence of God. Paul's letters seem to indicate that he was experiencing Jesus through this presence. And this is how we as disciples connect with the Father and the Son, by the Holy Spirit. We see these examples that Paul writes throughout his letters. Romans 8 tells us that Christ, the Spirit, was working in him. As he would pray, he reminds us that the Holy Spirit is groaning on our behalf. Paul shows us the Holy Spirit was working in and through him in his ministry. He also says that he was connected to the Father and the Son through the Holy Spirit. We also see in Galatians 5 that for him the Spirit created fruit within him. And Ephesians 5 shows us, and Paul tells us, because this was a reflection of his life, that we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So we experience Jesus through this personal presence. But I want to show you how this actually plays itself out, right? And it's specifically from those two passages as well as Romans 12, which says that we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind so that transformation begins to overflow into our lives. The fruit of the Spirit is one way in which we begin to show that the Holy Spirit is working within us. Patience, loving kindness, generosity, gentleness. Generosity is good, but it's not one of them. <laughs> gentleness. 
the nine characteristics we see in the fruit of the Spirit. But we also see in Ephesians 5, being filled with the Spirit leads to the songs we sing on Sunday beginning to shape our minds. Actually, you know what? Let's do this. Let's jump over to Ephesians 5. I want you to see this so you don't think I'm just making this up. Ephesians 5, starting in eight, verse 18. It says, Do not be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to God with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So we see that his charge is to not be drunk with wine, which for us in the Baptist world would be very hard grape juice, right? But to be filled with the Spirit. And to be filled with the Spirit means that our minds, as Romans 12 says, is they are transformed and renewed to the things of the Lord. And so when the Holy Spirit is leading us and our minds are being transformed, then we start to see, as verse 18 says, our lives show these characteristics. So, for example, the songs we sing up here, I mean, there's a reason why we have such rich theological songs, because Jordan, Dwayne, myself, the leaders of this church, we want to make sure that when you leave here and the songs that you remember reflect the truth about God. And so as your heart and mind are transformed, you're remembering these songs, you're able to sing them, share them with others. Another characteristic is that you're always giving thanks. Now, how hard is that for us? I mean, it is, it is difficult for me to always be thankful. I hope I'm not the only one. But the Holy Spirit within us changes our minds to where we can be thankful for any and every circumstance that we have because we understand that we have a personal presence within us that is guiding us and sustaining us. And then finally, we're able to submit ourselves to one another. We see others better than ourselves. We are willing to lay down our own desires for the good of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And I smile because that actually happened last night as we were talking about creating groups. Um, for most of you that know me, I'm, I can be very stubborn at times, and we had an idea of where we wanted to go, and I wanted to stick with it, and now we're kind of moving in the other way. And what submission looks like is going, hey, for the good of the church, I am going to submit to the leadership as well as those that God has placed around us, because I know that that is going to bring about the flourishing of our people in this church. And so when the Holy Spirit is working, we are able to submit to one another and give up our own desires for the good of our brothers and sisters. We desire unity over the freedoms that we have in Christ. So think about this as we begin to close out. Actually, I'm sorry, we got one more. One more. But I want you to think about this. The very creator that sustains life that we see in Genesis 1, who creates life Anim that, that animates the very trees outside by his ruach. This same creator, he wants to have this personal relationship with us, to create a new energy within us that is filled by the Holy Spirit, that influences our minds so that we are made more and more into the image of Christ. See, the role of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the believer is to point them back to the Son, to remind them of the gospel, and to remind them of their call to go and make disciples. This is the third and last point this morning of why it's important for us to be and understand the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Because we're called to mission. You see, the work of the Holy Spirit is to empower the work of us, the work of the church, to be on mission, to be about the work of the Son 
and what he has done and to testify to his saving grace and to bring him glory and to magnify his name. And that's what the Spirit is always doing. When you walk throughout excuse me, the Scriptures, you see that the Spirit is pointing to the Son. This is how we ought to live on mission. Our lives empowered by the Spirit pointing to Jesus. As J.T. English said this week, to be Christ-centered is to be living on mission with the Spirit empowering us to make Jesus' name great. We are saved out of the darkness into this marvelous light of the gospel to now take that marvelous light back into a dark and dying world that God has placed around you. And this is why you'll hear me say often when we end, go and remember the gospel. This is what the Holy Spirit does. We see John 14. He helps us remember what Christ has done, not for our own sake, but also to compel us to go and share to those who are dark and dying in this world. He doesn't call us to just live in some Christian bubble, but he calls us to go, to make disciples, to share the grace of God that has been given to us. And that's how we love one another. That's how we love those that God has placed around us, by sharing that Christ has come. And one of the ways that we remember the gospel each week is by taking communion. We see this picture in the Lord's Supper where God, Christ, says, my body will break, this is the bread, my body's blood will be shed, this is the wine, and every time you gather, we see in Hebrews, do this in remembrance of me, remember what I have done. And so we, we, we partake in it. We come to this communion remembering that Christ has lived the life that we could never live. He died the death we rightly deserve as sinners. And then he rose from the grave by the power of the Holy Spirit and now sits at the right hand of God. And he has created a way for sinful men and women like us to have fellowship with him. He has created order out of disorder. And so this is what we remember in communion. And so I'm going to close in prayer, and then in this time of communion, the band can come up. You guys can take a moment. The scriptures describe a couple of things when it comes to communion. You can reflect on what God has done and remember, and then go celebrate. Scriptures tell us that if there is relational conflict between believers, that you're not to take the communion. So if there is any type of reconciliation that needs to happen, I would, by the sake of Christ's forgiveness for you, I would, I would pray that you would go and reconcile with them. And then thirdly, it just, it calls us to confess our sins in light of what Christ has done. And then let's go take communion and celebrate that we have communion with the Lord because of what Christ has done now with the Spirit living within us. So I'm going to take some time. We're going to pray and close out, and then we're going to celebrate communion, celebrating what Christ has done, celebrating that we have a personal God who sustains us, this ruach, this breath and life within us that is transforming our hearts, renewing our minds so that we can live in such a way for his glory and our joy. And this is the Christian story that we see of the Holy Spirit. So let's take some time to pray, and then we'll go celebrate. Lord, thank you for your great grace. Thank you for your mercy that you've shown us in Christ. Thank you that from Page one, we see that you are a God who is not distant or far off, but you are personal. You give us your presence. You show us that you are a creator and a sustainer of life. And that from eternity past, you had a plan to redeem a people 
for your glory and for our joy to transform our hearts and to renew our minds. And you do this by the power of your spirit. And we praise you and thank you for that, Lord. As we come to communion, as we leave this week, let us remember that we are being sustained by the power of your spirit. Lord, I pray that as we touch this surface level topic of your spirit, that this would help us want to desire and long to know him more. That our misconceptions of the Holy Spirit would drive us to the word of God, to what is revealed about him, so that our affections are stirred more for your glory and that our lives can magnify you better. Lord, I pray this week as well as that as Riley prayed this morning, that if the Holy Spirit is impressed on us, that we need to share, whether it is a story or whether it is finances or, or whatever it may be, the gospel to someone around us, or that we would take that opportunity because you are calling us to come alongside you to bring about life, to share your good great name. So I pray that we would look for those opportunities, that we would be excited, although maybe nervous, in the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We ask that in that nervousness we would trust you and, and we would know that what you have planned is for our glory and for our joy, or your glory and our joy, and for the growth of your kingdom. Lord, as a what I reading Acts two, Lord, I just want to pray that Your Spirit would fall like it did at Pentecost to grow Your kingdom here in Indianapolis. That men and women who are feeling disorder, that feeling like there's chaos within their lives, Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would come and bring new life. That the city would be transformed by the power of the gospel. And that you would be glorified here. May our church take that commission. May we remember the gospel this week. For, it's for your glory, your great name. Amen. Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at